Welcome to the JCBC Podcast. My name is Sean, and I'm so grateful that you found our podcast. Listen, the JCBC Podcast is a collection of several sermons that have been preached over the years at Johns Creek Baptist Church. I pray that as you find these sermons and you listen to them, they would meet you where you are in your journey. And I trust that God will do something in these words to lift up your head, if only for a little while. So go ahead and subscribe to us and follow along. Well, the grace and the peace of our Lord be with you. It's good to be home. I've been away for a couple of weeks with my family, met up with our boys after they finished their commitment in Southeast Asia. Spent a couple of weeks together on a vacation. Had a great time. But I got to tell you, one of the stops on the vacation was at the beautiful island of Mykonos in Greece. We were in a cab, a taxi cab. We're riding from one place to the next. And I noticed on the rear view mirror, the, the cab driver had a rosary. I think of rosary beads, you know. But I didn't want to assume that he was Roman Catholic because there's also Greek Orthodox churches everywhere in that part of the world. So I said to him, are you, are you Orthodox or Roman Catholic? And he said, well, I'm Roman Catholic. Which one are you? <laughs> I said, well... Uh, I am, I'm actually Protestant, you know, we're, we're like the stepchildren of this whole thing. I'm Protestant, I'm, I'm, I'm a, a Baptist. And he said, oh, what's that? <laughs> and I explained a little bit about what it meant to be a Baptist to a man who has never heard of a Baptist before. So my point is this. I think that you should send me and my family for a while to plant a church, a Baptist church, in Greece. If that's okay, we'll start a commission to study the options after church today. In the meantime, I want to invite you to turn with me, please, in your Bibles to the 12th chapter of Ecclesiastes. Today, we conclude what has been a very powerful time of reflection and study in the book of Ecclesiastes, in a sermon series that we have been calling chasing the wind, finding meaning where it matters. And for these eight weeks, we have been listening to the reflections of the master teacher, Kohelet. We've let Kohelet tell it about the way it is in this world. As one who has made observations from a lived experience, he says to us and all who would have ears to hear, I have looked for meaning and purpose and satisfaction and happiness in every conceivable direction. I've looked for satisfaction in the pursuit of education and wisdom and knowledge. I've looked for it in the seeking of pleasures. I have looked for meaning in my vocation and investments and in money and at the end of every chase, it has felt like I have been chasing the wind. The word that he uses for it is chevel. It feels like mist or vapor or smoke. And you would think that at the end of every pursuit that leaves him with frustration, unsatisfied, you would assume that it would leave somebody like Kohelet to be a kind of cynic, a kind of fatalist, as if his attitude would be something like, well, since it doesn't matter what's going to happen, go and do what you want to do. And he points out that in many ways we have no control over particular parts of our lives. For example, he points out the seemingly random nature of life 
We've talked in here about how it's possible to eat well and healthy and exercise every day and still die of a heart attack at 30. And yet there can be someone else who eats junk food all day long, never gets off the couch, smokes like a chimney, drinks like a fish, and lives to 99. And and, and Kohelet points out that our observed experiences sometimes don't stack up to what makes sense. It's absurd. It's chevel. And, and, and if, even if you think you have some control over part of your life, at the end of that, you find that it's an illusion, like time, like time management, the oxymoron of, of the ages, that we really have no control over time, that it comes with a steady march of its own, and we are here for a moment and then gone. And then death, he talks about death, how it's a great equalizer that we are all made with an expiration date. And at the end of all these observations that seem so heavy and negative with a gravity that you can kind of feel in his words, you would assume that he would be a cynic, a fatalist. And you would assume that his opinion would be just go and do whatever you want to do because it doesn't matter, we're all going to die. But that's not what he says. In fact, the tenor of the book of Ecclesiastes is live while you can live. Like in chapter seven, we read these words. When times are good, be happy. <laughs> but, but when times are bad, consider this. God has made the one as well as the other. Or in chapter nine, we studied a few weeks ago. In chapter nine, go, eat your food with gladness and drink your wine with a joyful heart for God has already approved what you do. God has already approved of your desire for satisfaction and life and joy. So go make life. Always be clothed in white. Always anoint your head with oil. In other words, that's code language for dress for the party in case one breaks out around you. Yeah. Enjoy life with your wife whom you love and all the days of this meaningless life that God has given you under the sun. All of your chevel-filled days. What Kohelet is trying to teach us is to change the posture with which we go through life. And instead of going through life with a posture of control and domination and power as if I can script my life, as if I am actually the king of my own universe, he's calling us to give up the illusion of control and take on a posture of humility where we learn every day to take life as it comes to us one day at a time from the hand of a loving God who has made us and who is with us and who loves us. Now the message of Kohelet, I think, is an urgent message. The message is you can have a life that is steady and satisfied and content. You can be happy in this life, but it comes not from the pursuits that we assume will deliver those things and in a culture that sometimes is void of satisfaction, contentment, and true freedom, I think the message of a Kohelet constitutes something of an emergency because I promise you there is someone here in this hour of study and you you almost didn't make it here today, did you? 
There's somebody in this room right now who perhaps is holding on by a very thin thread. In every direction you have turned, you have sought to get a hold of your life. You've attempted to the best of your capacity to comprehend your options. You have attempted to somehow muster up a life that matters so that you might find meaning in the morning. And yet, you're on the edge of giving up. This is why chapter 12 was written for you. Written for you. Because chapter 12, the culminating chapter of this book is everything. Now you remember that I told you when we began this study that the author of this book was someone who comes way late in time, probably after the exile, post-exilic author, but the one doing all the talking, Kohelet, is not the author. The author tells us about the teachings of Kohelet. He does this, he kind of sets a book end on each end of this book. And at the beginning, he gives us a kind of prologue. It's a one-sentence prologue. He says, the words of the teacher, Kohelet, the son of David, king of Israel. And then for the next 11 chapters, Kohelet reflects about all the things that are disappointing and frustrating and all the ways we waste our energies in pursuit of Hevel. And but then at the very end, at the end of chapter 12, the author comes back and puts a prologue, I mean a epilogue at the end of the book. It's his observations about the observations that Kohelet has made. And beginning in chapter 12 and verse nine, we hear these words. Not only was the teacher wise, Kohelet wise, but he also imparted knowledge to the people. He pondered and searched out and set in order many proverbs. The teacher searched to find just the right words and what he wrote was upright and true. The words of the wise are like goads. They're collected sayings like firmly embedded nails given by one shepherd. The words of Kohelet are like what he calls goads. Now a goad is a long stick that's used by a shepherd and at the end of that long stick, a nail is literally embedded at the end of the stick to poke and prod and point the cattle or the goats or the herd in the right direction. The image is of pain, discomfort. But the point of the goad is not pain itself. The point of the goad is direction and freedom and the path that is right. And the author of the book says that Kohelet's words are like goads because they are uncomfortable to hear. It's difficult to hear words about how you've set up your life when you've spent your life setting up your life that way and the words say that you may have made a mistake. It's like a goad poking you in the side and isn't it true about us that this is how we're wired? We don't wanna hear uncomfortable words. I mean, we want the pain to go away. We want the discomfort to go away, but we don't want to change anything about the way we've ordered our lives so that the pain goes away. That's kind of how we're operating, isn't it? Tell me how I can feel better, but don't tell me to do anything to change in order to feel better. 
Recently, I, I ran across an old video that illustrates what I'm talking about perfectly. And it's worth our watch and maybe even our laughter. Take a look at the way we are. It's just, there's all this pressure, you know? And sometimes it feels like it's right up on me and I can just feel it, like literally feel it in my head and it's relentless and I don't know if it's gonna stop. I mean, that's the thing that scares me the most is that I don't know if it's ever gonna stop. Yeah. You do have a nail in your head. It is not about the nail. Are you sure? Because, I mean, I'll bet if we got that out of there... Stop trying to fix it. No, I'm not trying to fix it. I'm just pointing out that maybe the nail is causing... You always do this. You always try to fix things when what I really need is for you to just listen. See, I don't think that is what you need. I think what you need is to get the nail out. See, you're not even listening now. Okay, fine. I will listen. Fine. It's just... Sometimes it's like there's this achy, I don't know what it is. And I'm not sleeping very well at all. And all my sweaters are snagged. I mean, all of them. Yeah, I, that sounds really hard. It is. Thank you. Ow! Oh, come on. Ow. If you would just don't. Okay. <laughs> Does that preach or what? Right? That may have been a conversation in the car on the way to church for you. It may have been something that's waiting after church. I don't know. But isn't that the way we are? We're like something. I love it. You know, it's just aching, like right around here. And I don't know what it is, you know. The fact is we are wired that way. We know that what we are doing is not working. We know we feel the impact of the pursuit we have made and it's frustrating and it's unsatisfying and yet when someone like Kohelet comes along and suggests that it may be Chavel, this pursuit, don't tell me that my pursuit of an education is Chavel. I've spent a lot of time and a lot of money on this education. Don't tell me that my vocation, my job, don't tell me that the work that I've been devoting my life to, to accumulate a little bit of wealth and maybe some physical comforts, don't tell me it's chavel, that it's a waste of time. Don't tell me it's chasing the wind because all I'm trying to do is give my kids something I didn't have when I was a kid. Don't tell me it's a waste. I have this pain. It's like in this general area and I just want you to make me feel better about it, but don't tell me anything about this nail in my head. And Kohelet is saying, if you want freedom. It begins with pursuing something other than what we think delivers that freedom. And until we change our minds about where it is that we find a true soul satisfaction, we will continue to pray the prayer of St. Augustine, my soul is restless, O Lord, until it finds its rest in you. In the New Testament, there is a Greek word, um, metanoia. Metanoia is a word that literally means a change of mind. It's, you know, noia, the mind. You know, paranoia, para meaning beside. So when you're paranoid, you're outside your mind, right? Metanoia is a higher mind, a mind that's over, a mind that is changed, more developed, one that is a changed mind. And in the New Testament, every time metanoia shows up in the New Testament, the word that we use to translate metanoia 
repent. To repent means to change your mind about how you view and do your life. It's as if Kohelet is saying, you gotta change your mind about where it is that you think your ultimate satisfaction and meaning can be delivered. It's, it's why in 2 Timothy we read these words, and it's so true. For the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine instead to suit their own desires. They will gather around them a number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. And I want to say to you, sometimes faith requires the goad of God. Is there a place where you have been made uncomfortable And is it possible that that discomfort is God's loving way of prodding you down a path that is right? When I was a kid, I was into martial arts a lot. And and my family is a family um, uh, with boxers. My uncle was a championship boxer. My grandfather, who you've heard me talk about, the greatest man alive, the greatest man that that ever lived. He's gone to be with the Lord now, but he... Um, he was something and he coached boxing and he refereed boxing and when I was beginning in the early days in martial arts I would go to show him everything that I had learned and we would spar he was a bad dude and we would spar and I'd show him all the new moves I had the kicks, the spins, the flips the things that I could do and meanwhile he held this old leather boxing glove didn't even put it on just held it in his hand and I had my pads on and I was kicking and flipping and spinning and twisting and pirouetting and whatever I was doing to show off all my new moves and he would wait and he'd dodge, he'd move and then pop. <laughs> Put on my head, side of my head, my ear, pop. I'd shake it off a little bit, you know, put my glasses back on straight, come back at him again, I'd try something else, he'd wait, he'd wait, he'd wait, pop. And it stung and he kept doing it and he kept finding the pole where he could place it and what he was teaching me You can show off with your feet all you want, all the fancy footwork, the kicks, the flips, the spins, whatever, but you've got to keep your guard up. And so to teach me to keep my guard up, he's going to goad me with that leather boxing glove until I learned and I learned. Sometimes faith requires the goad of God to make us uncomfortable until we learn. When I was a toddler, I used to run out into the street My house was very close to our street and cars would fly up and down the street and my mother was trying to teach me to not run out in the street and no matter what she said, I I kept running out in the street and it could have been precarious, it could have been fatal, it could have been the end of me. One day, the family dog got hit by a car. (laughs) My mother takes me by the hand and we walk to the middle of the street and she says, you see that? That's going to happen to you if you keep walking out in the middle of the street. I never walked out in the middle of the street again. And this, my friends, explains why your pastor is wired the way he is wired. But sometimes it takes the goad of God to direct us down paths of righteousness. It's not fun, but it's faith. And yet all of what Kohelet says, I think, culminates in these next two verses. These next two verses summarize the whole 
journey, beginning in verse 13. Now all has been heard. Here is the conclusion of the matter. This is where it all has been leading, says the author. Fear God and keep his commandments. For this is the duty of all humankind. For God will bring every deed into judgment, including every hidden thing, whether it is good or evil. It all comes down to this, he says. Fear God. Keep his commandments. And on the surface, it just sounds like he's giving us two new tasks to perform in order to find meaning in life, but he's not. Kohelet is talking code here because those two actions are identity markers to a faithful Israelite. The Israelite is the one who does those two things. To be a faithful Jew, you feared God and kept the commandments. You make room in this life for the possibility that there is one higher than you who above the clouds at the end of the day will have the final word. A good Jew fears God, reveres God, bends the knee before God all the days of his life. That, that's who you are. It's not just what you do. And you keep the commandments. You order your life in such a way that the world around you sees in the ordering of your life that you belong to him. So when Kohelet says it all boils down to this, fear God and keep the commandments, what he's saying is remember who you are. You have been made by and in the image of a loving God who has given you air in your lungs and who has calibrated the beats of your heart and your chest. Remember who you are because the days will come when Chavel will break loose all around you. And in the midst of all Chavel breaking loose, when you feel torn apart, if you remember who you are, fear God, keep the commandments, then you will be held together by a God bigger than the Chavel, bigger than your capacity to muddle through it on your own. Interesting that in chapter 12 where we're talking about reminding the people who they are, earlier in the chapter in two specific places, in a big way he reminds them to remember their creator in times when it feels like life is unraveling. In verse one we hear it this way, Remember your creator in the days of your youth before the days of trouble come and the years approach when you will say, I find no pleasure in them. Remember, before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars grow dark and the clouds return after the rain, when the keepers of the house tremble and the strong men stoop, when the grinders cease because they are few and those looking through the windows grow dim, remember, your creator, when the doors to the street are closed and the sound of the grinding fades, he's talking about Chavel when it's all breaking loose around you. When people rise up at the sound of birds but their songs grow faint, remember your creator. When people are afraid of the heights and of the dangers in the streets, when the almond tree blossoms and the grasshopper drags itself along and desire no longer is stirred, remember then people go to their eternal home and after the funeral, the mourners go about in the streets. Remember him. Before the silver cord is severed and the golden bowl is broken, these are images of death. Before you die, before you let Chavel take you down, remember him. 
before the golden bowl is broken, before the pitcher is shattered at the spring and the wheel broken at the well and the dust returns to the ground where it came from and the spirit of God or the spirit returns to the God who gave it, remember, it's meaningless. It's chevel, chevel, says the teacher. Everything is chevel and the author is saying, when you look around you and you are hopeless and alone and broken and disappointed, existentially exhausted by the pursuit, remember God. And in remembering God, remember you belong to God. And I find it compelling on a day when the final chapter of Ecclesiastes calls us to remember, 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 remember that we gather around a table this morning on the front of which is inscribed, do this in remembrance of me. Because on the night that Jesus was arrested, he spoke to the closest friends he had and his words felt like a goad in their side. I'm going somewhere and where I'm going, you cannot come. And Peter protests, oh no, Lord, we will go through you to the end, with you to the end. Even if I have to die, I will go with you. I will not abandon you. And like a goad, Jesus says, before the sun rises, you will have denied me three times. And he looks around at them and he sees that sometimes it's hard to hear that something has to die before it rises. So to hold them over, until resurrection morning. He takes a loaf of bread and he says, every time you eat this, I want you to remember me. Remember that when life breaks you apart like a torn piece of bread, remember that I was broken for you. That I was wounded for your transgressions, bruised for your iniquities and the chastisement of your sin was upon me. Remember me when all chavel is breaking loose and you feel as if your life is being poured out like wine spilt upon the ground. Remember that this cup is my blood poured out for you. Remember me for everything that is breaking me is to make you whole. Beloved, it's no accident that we gather around this table. And it's no small ritual that we perform. This is everything. This is every promise to the broken. This is every partnership to the lonely. This is every healing to the sick. This is every remedy to the problem that you are exhausted trying to solve. In his brokenness, we are made whole. So this table is for the lonely, the broken, the lost, the confused, the questioning, the doubting. This table is for you. 